0: What do the Bible, Hogwarts, Disciples, and Dementors all have in common? This podcast. Welcome to The Gospel According to Harry Potter, a podcast for Potterheads, Jesus Freaks, and everyone in between. My name is Ashley, and together we'll examine the entire Harry Potter series, chapter by chapter, through a biblical lens, looking for insights into Harry Potter from a Christian worldview and insights into real life from a wizarding worldview. So grab your favorite Harry Potter book, your go-to Bible translation, and maybe a mug of warm butterbeer and get ready to explore the wizarding world like never before. Hey guys, welcome back to The Gospel According to Harry Potter. I'm Ashley, the muggle behind the mic, and today I want to ask for a little bit of patience with me if my voice is a little scratchy. It is officially pollen season here in my neck of the woods, and so, wow, it's rough out there. (laughs) So uh, I drank some water. I'm trying to um, keep my voice healthy for you guys, but if it's a little bit scratchier than usual, it's because pollen is in the air. So anyway, that's that. Uh, Today we are discussing Chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but before we get into it, uh, just a couple of reminders. As I go through the recap of the chapter, you will hear the word LUMOS. LUMOS. To alert you when I'm shining a light on any biblical element in the story. I'm also talking about Christianity from a mature biblical worldview. And so I'll always include any scriptural references that I make in the show notes. And I encourage you to reach out to me if you have any questions about the uh, biblical stuff that I'm talking about here. I want to make sure that everybody understands and so if you ever have questions, you can DM me on Instagram at gospel according to Harry Potter, or you can email me at gospelaccordingtoharrypotter at gmail.com. And I'll link all of these things in the show notes as well. And as a brand new podcast, I also majorly appreciate you following, uh, staying with me on this journey, and leaving a friendly review if you like what you hear. And then, of course, I encourage you to invite any of your friends, fellow Potterheads, fellow Jesus freaks, to join us as we continue reading through Harry Potter. Our wand of the week is Rowan. Another tree I've never heard of, so I googled it, and it's actually this gorgeous tree that grows really pretty uh, bright red berries. According to WizardingWorld.com, Ollivander says, quote, Rowanwood has always been much favored for wands because it is reputed to be more protective than any other, and in my experience, renders all manner of defensive charms especially strong and difficult to break. It is commonly stated that no dark witch or wizard ever owned a Rowan wand, and I cannot recall a single instance where one of my own Rowan wands has gone on to do evil in the world. Rowan is most happily placed with the clear-headed and the pure-hearted, but this reputation for virtue ought not to fool anyone. These wands are the equal of any, often the better, and frequently outperform others in duels." I love the idea of a protective wand that has never gone over to the dark side. This made me think of Isaiah 54:17, which says, "But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me, I, the Lord, have spoken." What an amazing reminder that God is our protector and he will defend us from every attack of the accuser. So to all my protective Rowan wand friends out there, I challenge you to memorize Isaiah fifty-four seventeen this week. And if you don't know what your wand wood is, head over to my Instagram highlights and check out the wand ceremony pause game to see which wand chooses you. And now it's time for today's recap. Can you believe that we are already more than halfway through this book? i It's gone really fast, in my opinion. So uh, here we go. Today, we are reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Chapter 10, Halloween. The day after Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville had met the giant three-headed dog, Draco Malfoy is surprised to see that they didn't get caught out of bed, which is what he had intended when he invited Harry to the Midnight Duel. By this time, Harry and Ron are enjoying remembering the wild adventure of the night before, and they spend time wondering what could be so valuable or so dangerous that it had to be guarded by a monster like that. Hermione Granger is now refusing to speak to them, a fact which the boys are grateful for since she is, quote, such a bossy know-it-all, end quote. While they're at breakfast, Harry receives a large parcel with a note from Professor McGonagall warning him not to open it at the table. It contains his new broom, a Nimbus 2000, and she doesn't want all the other students to want one. While Malfoy is quick to recognize what's in that package, and he tells Professor Flitwick that Harry's got a broom, which is against the rules, once again doing his best to get Harry into trouble. LUMOS TRYING TO CAUSE TROUBLE The way Malfoy is always so quick to shout about the rules to try to get Harry in trouble reminds me of the way the Pharisees and other experts in the law often tried to use rules to get Jesus and his followers into trouble. In particular, these experts were always mad when Jesus performed miracles on the Sabbath. Now, to understand this argument, we first have to look at the cultural and religious context of the accusation. In Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 say, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath and set it apart as holy. So in episode 7, we talked about how the original laws that God established for his people were meant to help keep them safe, spiritually, morally, and physically. They were not arbitrary rules to make life difficult, but instead they were parameters that were meant to benefit God's people. The commandment to keep the Sabbath was no different. God established this rule to ensure that everyone—notice it mentions adults, children, servants, visitors, and even work animals—should get a day to rest each week. It's a gift. It's a blessing. However, by Jesus' time, the religious elite had turned this and other laws into harsh, restrictive rules that were almost impossible to follow. For example, they had turned the definition of work into any sort of physical exertion, including picking up and carrying a mat. So when Jesus miraculously healed people on the Sabbath, these experts in the law were furious and they saw it as an opportunity to get Jesus in trouble. But when they confronted him, Jesus set the record straight. According to Mark 2, 27, Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath." Jesus explained so simply what the experts should have realized all along, that the law was meant to benefit people, not the other way around. We have to be careful of these same attitudes today, guys. Religious people will try to use scripture as a weapon to judge and condemn people. And the only way to defend yourself against that sort of toxic legalism is to know the scriptures for yourself and to rightly apply them as Jesus did. When the Malfoys of the world start pointing the finger to get you in trouble, you can rest assured that you're okay when you stay on Jesus' side. Knox. Flitwick tells Malfoy that McGonagall explained all about the special circumstances behind Harry getting a new broom. Harry says that it's actually thanks to Malfoy that he's got a broom. If he hadn't thrown Neville's Remembrall, Harry would never have caught it and he wouldn't be on the Quidditch team now. Hermione is also mad about the new broom, saying that now Harry's going to think he got rewarded for breaking the rules. That evening, Harry meets his Quidditch captain, Oliver Wood, for his first ever Quidditch lesson. Wood introduces the three different kinds of balls used in the sport, and he tells Harry that his business is with the tiny golden snitch, a winged ball that zips around the pitch. Harry's job as seeker is to find and catch it before the other team. Wood explains that this task isn't as simple as it sounds. Harry's going to have to weave through the other players, avoid being hit by bludgers, be aware of the score to make sure he doesn't catch it too soon, and be able to fly well enough to capture the tiny ball once he does spot it, all before it zips away again. Lumos. Focus like a seeker. The position of seeker on a Quidditch team is so important because, honestly, the whole game is basically riding on them. It's a job that requires laser focus when there's a lot going on around you. Following Jesus can feel a lot like playing seeker. There's a lot going on in the world to distract us from our goal, which is living and loving like he did. Hard times can hit us like bludgers. Other people can play rough like Slytherin chasers. Comparison can feel like trying to keep up with the other side's score. And focusing on Jesus through all of this can feel a lot like trying to glimpse a tiny golden ball in the midst of chaos. So what can we do to keep our focus true? Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In this verse, Paul is reminding us to focus on what matters. Keep our minds on what's true, honorable, right, and pure. And this isn't always easy to do. It's a habit that requires training, much like a seeker has to train to be able to catch the golden snitch. We live in a world that's in love with bad news. I mean, it only takes a few minutes of watching the news or scrolling on Instagram to begin to be bombarded with horrible things. Before we know it, our minds can become fixated on what's wrong with the world. But that's not where the Christian mind should rest. We have to practice focusing on the good things that Paul listed in this verse. And we can apply this to all areas of our lives. Actually, one of the best pieces of marriage advice that I have ever heard was to apply Philippians 4.8 to your spouse. What's true about them? What's right? What's pure? What's admirable? Focus on those things instead of what bothers you about them. And we can apply this to everyone, to our friends, our coworkers, our children, our parents. We can even apply it to ourselves to keep our minds safe from low self-esteem. We can apply it to our finances, to our jobs, to everything. So that's my challenge for you today. Be a seeker of good things. Refer to Philippians 4.8 and make yourself a list of all these things in your life. I promise you, you won't regret it. Knox. Before Harry knows it, he's been at Hogwarts for two months. He's enjoying Quidditch practice three nights a week, and he already feels more at home at Hogwarts than he ever did with the Dursleys. On Halloween morning, Harry's in charms class, learning the levitation charm, which Hermione famously instructs as quote, Wingardium Leviosa, make the gar nice and long, unquote. While the rest of the class struggles with the charm, Hermione successfully makes a feather levitate off the desk, and she's praised by Professor Flitwick. At the end of class, Ron complains about Hermione, saying, quote, It's no wonder no one can stand her. She's a nightmare, honestly, end quote. But at that moment, Hermione brushes past them crying, and Harry is pretty sure she heard Ron. That afternoon, Hermione doesn't turn up for the rest of classes, and Harry and Ron overhear another girl saying that she had seen Hermione crying in the bathroom. Well, they go to the Great Hall for the Halloween feast, where the holiday decorations and sumptuous meal push Hermione Granger right out of their minds. Lumos Halloween! Okay, so in my experience, there are few things that cause as much disagreement between Christians as the topic of Halloween. I mean, it has been such a touchy subject in my life that I'm almost hesitant to even talk about it here until I remember that this whole podcast is kind of a touchy subject, you know, the whole Harry Potter and Jesus thing. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to start with my own story, my own experience. So growing up, my family celebrated Halloween in the sense that, you know, we dressed up in cute or funny costumes and we went trick-or-treating for candy. For us, that's all it was ever about, candy and fun. It never even occurred to me when I was growing up that some Christians would disapprove. So when I became a teacher... For six years, I actually taught in a public high school, and still, Halloween was no big deal except for, you know, students wanting to dress up and bring tons of candy the day after Halloween. I mean, it, it did cause chaos in that respect, but otherwise, you know, no big deal. And then I got a job teaching at a private Christian school, and that is when I first discovered that not everyone is okay with Halloween. Suddenly, I had a lot of students who said they weren't allowed to trick-or-treat, and as teachers, we weren't allowed to decorate or do any Halloween-themed activities in class. And then one day, my own daughter came home really upset because her teacher had told her that Halloween was the devil's birthday, which is a categorically false statement that left my poor little girl feeling like we were doing something really wrong every year. Now, before any feathers get ruffled... Uh, let me explain two things. First, I'm not trying to attack anyone who does not celebrate Halloween. As I mentioned way back in episode one, if you're convicted that you shouldn't do something, then don't do it. No pressure. Second, I do want to address the false statement that Halloween is the devil's birthday, or even that it necessarily has to do with any other satanic ritual for that matter. Guys, the devil doesn't have a birthday. Like, at least not as we understand and calculate birthdays. He wasn't born, he was created, and we don't even have a date for that. Now, as for the origins of Halloween, it does originate from several different pagan holidays that were either meant to usher in the change from summer to fall or to celebrate or commemorate the passing of a deceased loved one into the afterlife. So somewhere between the 7th and 8th centuries, the Catholic Church moved the observance of All Saints Day from May 13th to November 1st, thus referring to the night before as a holy or hallowed evening. And over the centuries, that title merged into the word Halloween. It's believed that the church moved the observance of All Saints Day from May to November in an attempt to override the pagan holidays and draw the focus onto something more Christian. Well, as you might have noticed, the spooky pagan undertones of the holiday were not erased, but rather they kind of merged with the hallowed evening and evolved into what has today become a mostly commercial celebration, at least in the United States, of, you know, candy and costumes and, of course, spooky, creepy decorations. So where does that leave us? Well... Some people today still observe Halloween for its pagan roots, focusing on either nature or death, and even incorporating occult practices like witchcraft or divination. Others, like me and my family, see Halloween as a time for eating too much candy and replacing my normal everyday Harry Potter decor with Death Eater merch. Much like the issue of whether or not it's okay for Christians to read Harry Potter, I think we have to each examine our own hearts in regards to Halloween. Scripture makes it clear that Christians are not supposed to dabble in witchcraft or any occult or other spiritual practices. So in that light, Halloween would indeed be out of bounds. But if you're a Christian who just loves a good costume and a reason to get free candy, and there's no temptation for you to participate in the pagan roots of Halloween, then you might feel like it's okay for you. The only way to know, guys, is to look at your own heart and pray about it. If you're convicted, don't celebrate it. If not, go ahead and trick or treat. It's not my place, or anyone else's, to judge you. Knox. As the students are gathered enjoying the Halloween feast, Professor Quirrell suddenly bursts into the Great Hall and tells Dumbledore that there's a troll in the dungeon before dropping in a dead faint. Everyone begins to panic, and Dumbledore tells the school prefects to lead their houses back to the safety of the dorms. As they leave, Ron explains to Harry that trolls are stupid creatures that probably wouldn't be able to get into the castle on their own. He suggests maybe Peeves let it in as a joke. Suddenly, Harry remembers that Hermione is still hiding away in the girls' bathroom, and he and Ron break away from the crowd to go and find her. They hide when they hear footsteps, and they see Professor Snape headed for the third floor. Then they catch a whiff of a horrible smell, and they see the troll coming toward them. When it stops and goes into a nearby doorway, Harry and Ron shut the door behind it and lock it in, feeling like heroes, until they hear a terrible scream, and they realize that they'd just locked the troll into the girls' bathroom with Hermione. They rush back to the bathroom, just in time to find Hermione cowering against the wall with the troll advancing on her. Ron and Harry rush into action, and before long they've conquered the troll with an interesting combination of Wingardium Leviosa and sticking a wand up its nose. Harry pulls his wand out of the troll's nose and finds it covered in, quote, troll bogeys, unquote, which is a term my American self had never heard until I saw the first Harry Potter film. We call them boogers here, guys. (laughs) The teachers show up and can't believe that Harry and Ron had taken the troll down all by themselves. To Harry's surprise, Hermione tells the teachers a lie, saying that she had gone to fight the troll on her own, but that Harry and Ron had saved her. They can't believe Hermione Granger actually lied to the teachers just to get them out of trouble. McGonagall takes five points from Hermione, but then awards Harry and Ron five each for their heroics. At the end of the chapter, the narrator mentions that from that point on, Hermione was their friend because, quote, there are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, end quote. Lumos. Some things you can't share without liking each other. We've already talked about the fact that Christians don't always agree on everything, and that's okay. Christians are still just people, after all, with different personalities and different opinions, and so, of course, we can't all be besties. But I want to present to you one thing that I think we can't really share without at least being at peace with one another. I'm talking about communion. The tradition of Christians taking communion, which is a symbolic partaking of bread and wine, comes from the Last Supper Jesus shared with his disciples. In Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28 say, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Okay, I don't claim to be an expert on all of the symbolism of the Last Supper communion because there's a lot. But one thing I learned changed the way I view not only communion, but the act of eating with people in general. In the book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, authors Anne Spengler and Lois Verberg explain that in the culture of Jesus' time, eating with someone meant that you entered into, quote, a protected relationship with them— whom you ate with revealed something important about who you were, showing to whom you belonged. End quote. The book also explains the concept of a meal of reconciliation, in which eating together is symbolic of dropping an offense and deciding to be at peace with each other. I love all of this. Now, not only does communion for me carry the reminder of Christ's sacrifice, but it reminds me that I'm in a protected relationship with the people who take communion with me, the people in my church. I don't know about you, but my church is full of different kinds of people. They're all different ages, different races, different backgrounds. You know, we have different interests and hold different opinions about things. But we are all part of the body of Christ. And when we share communion together every week, I can't help but feel camaraderie with them. Knox. Well, that brings us to the end of another chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. I hope I didn't make anyone too mad talking about Halloween. I'm telling you. Guys, that has been a hot topic in some circles I've been in. But like everything here on the Gospel According to Harry Potter, it's an element of the story that we can relate back to our faith. And to me, that is always worth a conversation. And if you're enjoying the show, please follow. Please leave a friendly review on whatever platform you're listening on and invite your friends to join us. And I'll be back next time to discuss Chapter 11. Until then, stay close to Jesus and don't let the muggles get you down. Bye.